Continuous talk of the town, that is, with our special Wednesday feature, Always a Treat to Do It, Left, Right, and Center, it's called. If you're a regular listener, you know that we take a look at some of the issues of the day, not necessarily uh, issues of the moment, but general issues, too. And we try to take a look at them from a variety of political perspectives, left, right, and center. And the people are not necessarily on the left or the right all the time. Sometimes they move around through the center, and you just never know what's going to happen, and that's what makes it fun. At least that's what you tell us. Um, my guest today, Robert Metz, is, uh, is a regular on the program. Nice to have you back, Bob. Hey, Jim. And Marion Boyd is here for the first time on this program, although she's been a guest on my show numerous times. It's very nice to have you here, too, Marion. Hi, Jim. I'm glad to be here. Um, today, I thought we'd take a look, a follow-up to a story we did earlier on the show, folks. If you were listening, we had Professor Bill uh, uh, Magnus on, and he has written a report, uh, a study of the size of government in Canada. And the conclusions, among many conclusions in this, is that government in Canada is too big. Now, it's easy to say that, and I think most taxpayers who look at the tax bill would say, well, of course it's too big, but it's not as simple as saying, gee, we have to make it smaller. He has uh, researched and compared uh, Canada's economy and Canada's social programs and, and, and the growth in our economy and so on with a number of countries around the world. And he believes that, uh, not that we need to eliminate government by any means, but his figure is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% of GDP seems to be a number that in many other countries affords them strong economic growth, uh, the kinds of social programs we want and, and expect here in this country, and, uh, and allows for the kind of growth that everybody wants. His contention is that in Canada, where our government costs are about 45% of GDP, that we're strangling the very uh, kinds of economic growth and progress that we want to deliver the services that we would like to get. Now, I pointed out to him that uh, there are many people who take issue with that because we look at the size of government, government spending today, and it seems as soon as we talk about cutting anything, or indeed as soon as a government cuts anything, the first thing that seems to go, and it may not be the first thing in the sense that it's the first in the line, it's just that there seems to be a direct relation between reducing the size of government today in Canada and losing services that we value. His response was, well, it may look that way, but that's really not what's happening, that there is no reason why the kinds of services we value cannot be maintained and so on with a government of a smaller size, that the problem is our mindset and the fact that under the Pearson and, Liberal and, and, and Trudeau governments the government here just blew out of all proportion and all sense of reality. He also made the point that if you look at outcomes in terms of quality of life for the disadvantaged, uh, educational results, health care, and so on, that there's, uh, as he said, minimal difference between this kind of pre-big government area and today. Even though we're spending a lot more money, we don't seem to be doing that much more for the people who need our help. And Marion, I'd start with you. D do you buy that analysis of his that in spite of the increased spending on everything we're spending, and maybe spending's the wrong way, in spite of the increased taxation, the government's taking all this money from us, we don't seem to be doing very much better for the disadvantaged, for people who need health care, for people in the education system and so on. Is he on the right track, do you think? Well, I'm a, at a bit of a disadvantage. Obviously, I haven't read the, the report, and I'm not sure whether he's including uh, uh, only public sector or broader public sector. Uh, that makes a huge difference uh, in terms of what he's talking about when he talks about government. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure whether he's talking about all levels of government or whether he's specifically talking about the federal government. The one thing I would say is this kind of discussion has to happen. We have to be sure that when we uh, are spending tax dollars to deliver services that they are being delivered efficiently and that they are having the outcomes that we expect them to have. Unfortunately, many of the outcome measures that have been developed, particularly 
uh, by more right-wing Republican-type governments, um, have not necessarily looked at the outcomes from the point of view of the person receiving the services, but from the point of view of uh, uh, the, the bottom line, the bottom dollar line. And I think we have to do both. I think, I think this is a, a good discussion to be held. Mm -hmm. But I think there are those who come to the discussion with very preconceived notions, mm -hmm. the Fraser Institute being one of them, mm -hmm. and that we need to be, uh, we need to, if we're going to have this discussion, be open to uh, uh, to it uh, from from all sides and would, really looking at efficiency and effectiveness. Would you take issue with his contention that we're not we're not doing much better for the people who need help. His contention is that when we had a smaller government 30 years, 35 years ago, and it's federal government primarily he's talking about, we have a, had a smaller government at that time that, that the outcome, again, however it's measured, that the outcomes then don't seem to be much worse than they are today. Well, I don't know how he's measuring those outcomes. I would tell you that today we certainly have uh, greater length of life, which indicates uh, great success in terms of health care delivery. We have uh, lower maternal deaths, uh, lower infant deaths. Uh, we certainly are looking at, uh, although it's, it's been a very slow growth, uh, better, better incomes for families, uh, better security for families. So I'm not sure how he's measuring that mm -hmm. outcome. And uh, um, it, it would be it would be interesting to know on what basis he's doing that if he's simply talking about uh, the the number of services uh, in a in a unit kind of value per dollar mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, without measuring what the outcome is for the people receiving those uh, services um, I'd, I'd be concerned because uh, you know yes healthcare yes there's been a proliferation of people working in healthcare but we also are seeing very real success in terms of longer life, better mm -hmm. quality of life, uh, more children, uh, surviving childhood, that sort of thing. So I'm not sure what he's measuring, and I'd, I'd hesitate to make a comment as to whether it's a valuable study or not until I know that. Uh, well, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. I guess and I'm, I'm going to, let me try to rephrase it again. Um, is it possible? Well, no, I think it's pretty, pretty much an absolute. You've been working for many, many years with the disadvantaged in our community. Yes. Are they worse off today than they were 35 years ago? Are they, are they, are they measurably better today in terms of the services government delivers to them? Because his point was, he says, I don't think we're doing much better for them now than we did then. We're spending all this extra money, and these people who uh, supposedly were to help, we're not helping them very much. Well, if he's talking pre-Medicare, I would have to disagree with him, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if he's talking about the the early days of Medicare, uh, I mean, I'm just not sure where he draws his mm -hmm. line. Um, and uh, you know, Medicare came in gradually across on, uh, Canada, and, yeah. and Ontario wasn't the first by any means to to put it into place. But I would I would say quite quite clearly that if he's talking about pre-Medicare uh, Canada, then I would say I I can't believe that he's right about that. Robert, from, from your perspective, again, his contention is that we have spent a whole lot more money without delivering to the people that need, need it the most, or indeed without delivering to people across the wide spectrum, uh, appreciable extra value for the extra taxes we're paying. Well, if you're just talking about taxes for wealth redistribution, then there's no way to measure results because the people on the receiving end will always want more and the people on the paying end will always want to pay less. And so you're always going to have that conflict in, in eternal turmoil. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a deeper issue underlying that, and it's a moral one. And I don't think that 
any group in society has a right to the earnings of other groups in society. Like, like to me, the issue of bigger government or the size of government, um, you know, the Ontario PCs, for example, are being uh, sort of complimented for reducing the size of government. Well, they really haven't. They've, they've increased the size of government, but done it with fewer people. Mm. To me, the measurement of a big government is how much of an intrusion it is in your life. Is it a help or a hindrance when 54% of your lifetime is spent of all the money you earn paying that government for the services you're supposed to be getting from it and then not even being assured of the services? Uh, I think we're in big trouble. Um, I do think that everyone is better off today in general, not because of our social services, but, but generally because of our growth in technology, in knowledge, in expertise. Um, I mean, things were, were already getting better before Medicare. Mm -hmm. So the issue of Medicare is a separate one. Uh, getting help to the people who need it under a universal social system is never going to happen. Uh, you can't have 100% of the people collecting off of the social service and expect the real people who need it to have enough money for their needs. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just not going to work. And yet I, I very seldom hear from poverty activists uh, the idea that we should get rid of universality in terms of letting people who can pay for their own visits or pay for the cheap visits, like regular doctor visits, things like that, uh, out of their own pockets. I mean, we, we all end up paying for this medicine anyway. Well, I, I think that the reality, though, is that a lot of people, if they are low income, will not access health care services in a timely fashion uh, under those circumstances. They'll put it off and put it off. And there are lots of studies to show that this is the case in the United States, for example, where it's cash on the barrel head. People leave things and then they become emergencies and they cost a great deal more. You don't worry about that too much, I suppose, in a privatized medical system, but you sure do in a system where uh, serious illness uh, is, is and, and the expense of an escalating health problem uh, rebounds on us. I mean, Robert and I, Jim, will never agree about the importance of Medicare. Mm. Uh, we've, we've argued this out on, on many stages over many years. Um, and, and the reality, uh, from my perspective, is universality with the health care system is the cheapest way to deliver it, a single-payer system. And there was a study done for the National Forum on Healthcare uh, by Reba Devers at uh, um, uh, U of T, showing very clearly that a single-payer tax, uh, a single-payer health care system costs a great deal less and delivers more of those dollars to direct service mm -hmm. to patients mm -hmm. than the mixed system we have now mm -hmm. or the kind of system that they have in the United States. I would assume that the author you're talking about has looked at some of the uh, countries where socialized medicine is part of the issue. Mm -hmm. And if he's saying that in socialized medicine uh, delivery countries, they are being more effective and more efficient than we are, we need to listen to that. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a taxpayer or a service recipient in this country who doesn't want that universal system delivered in the most effective and efficient way. Is, and the assumption that that can only be done with privatization mm -hmm. is simply nonsense. Is there, a, is, there a, is there a middle road between privatization and government? He did make the point today, and certainly it's been made before, and I think you can probably find in many facets of government operations, you can find places to prove it, that government is not necessarily the most efficient provider or instigator of a variety of services. Some, some places, some cases, I would say it is. 
don't ask me what they are, Bob, today, but I'll get you a list later if you want. <laughs> but but in, in, in a sense, I think there are some things that government certainly does better than the alternatives. But there are others where some people have suggested, well, okay, a, a totally private system may not be the best for all, but maybe there's something in between. Is there room somewhere for some kind of public-private cooperation where we get the best from both systems? But we do have that, Jim. I mean, that much of our health care is delivered through private insurance now uh, or delivered through the WSIB, which is... Uh, another form of of, of privatization so because it's, a, do, it's a corporation. You would do away with those then, those private alternatives. I certainly wouldn't proliferate them the way this government is doing with nursing homes and with home care services, because if if my tax dollar is going directly into the pocket of of shareholders who may not even live in my community, who may not spend those tax dollars in my community and so fuel my economy, which is true of most of the big mega corporations that deliver health care. But, but it doesn't bother you that your tax dollars are going into the pockets of politicians it and, doesn't bother and me the that bureaucracy my... in Toronto and being spread out all over the province where you'll never see them again and you just hope that but you're you going to get some But you are going to see back. them again because they're going into our economy. When I get my salary or you, you get your salary, you spend those dollars living in the community. When, that when you have your health care services paid for by tax dollars, delivered by mega corporations whose shareholders get between 10 and 20 percent profit, and they may not even live in the country, never mind but the in issue, the province, the issue is not then profit. we don't get those dollars back. The issue is cost If we to put the those dollars into the, the salaries of the people who deliver the services who live in our communities, they spend those dollars on houses, on cars, on groceries, and putting their kids through university. That's, that's a very different taxpayer uh, contribution, if you like, to the economy than the kind of extractive thing that we've seen in the, in the resource industry forever, mm -hmm. and now we're beginning to see in services, thanks to NAFTA. I want to just hop in just with one question and put this for both of you. Uh, you can make the case, though, that in many jurisdictions, and particularly south of the border, in many jurisdictions where they have privatized a wide variety of these services, um, the and I won't argue with you that the dollars have gone elsewhere, but that the local economies don't seem to have suffered as a result. How, how is that? If all these dollars are being extracted from these communities, communities still seem to be vibrant and strong. Well, first of all, uh, the, the Americans spend a great deal more on health care than we do. 14.3% mm -hmm. of their GDP as mm -hmm. opposed and, to 9.2%. he made that point, too, yeah. Point two fact, or they spend a lot of money on it. So there's a lot more money that, that circulates as a result of privatized health care. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one piece, I would say. And I would, I would also argue very strongly that, yes, because most of these big health care corporations are American corporations, yes, Americans... Uh, do very well mm -hmm. out of these these services because mm -hmm. those those services are American and they are. But if they're taking they're them getting. out of their communities or out of the state, for example, what's the difference between well, wait, taking wait out of Ontario to go somewhere or taking it I'm, from Texas to a company in Maine? Well, I mean, because it's coming out of it's our tax dollars going south, mm -hmm. and 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 in a very direct way, and that our argument is. First of all, a our tax dollars shouldn't be going to that kind of thing. It should be paying the service providers as a direct service mechanism, which we then benefit by or don't benefit by, and we can measure that. Mm -hmm. But if to up to 20% of our tax dollars are going into the pockets of shareholders elsewhere, we have no way of, of determining how valuable or how, how, how useful those tax dollars are. I'm confused, Mary. And during the election, you were calling for more spending on the health care system. 
through the tax dollars, and now you've just pointed out that in the United States, where they have more privatization, they do spend more on their health care system, up to 14%. So isn't that the answer, to get more money into the health care system? We have clearly said, Robert, that as we have an aging population and a growing population, we need to ensure that we are not eroding the per capita uh, investment that we make in healthcare. We see healthcare as an investment. If you can keep people productive and keep them healthy, then they keep contributing to the to the society. If you are, are denying people bypass surgery and they're unable to work, if you're denying people physiotherapy and they're unable to work, if you are uh, having people uh, with chronic illnesses well, we have to deny those to people contribute. these things as long as, you know, there's an argument that says that we should be paying first dollar on every single health care visit. Like if I go to the doctor just for a common cold or a flu or to get a prescription, I should be paying for that. I shouldn't be charging that to the taxpayer. No wonder there's no money left over for those folks. Well, I, you, uh, you, you know that I simply disagree with you because if you have dollars, if you have a big bank account, yes, you'll go to the doctor. If you are barely able to feed your family and that's actually causing the health problem in the first place, then you can't afford to go to that doctor. Your health is going to get worse, and eventually your drag on the economy is going to be much well, why, greater. Why then, Marion, because um, I'm a little perplexed, why not? Why the need for universality for everybody? I can afford, I can afford to pay the $10 to go and see my doctor. Um, now, it may not be, quote, fair for me to do that, but I can afford that. And if I were to do that and people like me were to do that, there would be more money for And in every system where that's been done, uh, Jim, there then is an erosion of the public system because physicians can make more m- dollars in, in a private system, and that is what really ruined the national health care well, system. So what you're in, basically in, saying is any time the, the consumer what? gets a choice, the public system suffers because the consumer does not choose that system for himself. Well, no, 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 that's no, not no, true. Both of you, you are misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm not saying another system. I'm simply saying that, that the government then charges me the 10 never mind the doctor, that the government charges me the $10, and I pay the $10 into the public but system. But if you have money, you're paying that through a graduated tax, care, uh, tax system. That's exactly how you're paying for that. You are paying for that. Well, I'm, I understand that. And, and, and that's the whole purpose. But if they and are... it takes from everybody, mm-hmm. and in, in, in proportion, I, I would argue that we have destroyed a progressive tax system with the, with the tax changes that have happened in Ottawa, mm-hmm. and, and a lack of a flexible system that really matches our ability to pay. Mm-hmm. But if we had a tax system that was truly based on our ability to pay, then those who have money, like you and me, mm-hmm. would be paying for 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 mm-hmm. health services, mm-hmm. it it's it's just a different way. But of that's not that universality, payment. then, is it? You know. Sure, it is, because then you have exactly the same access to health care as anybody else. Okay. That's what universality means. Okay, I got a new suggestion here, a new proposal for public health care, and I'm going to share it with my uh, guests today. We'll share it with you, and we'll remind you too that the lines are open six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety on the Cantel. We'll be back to talk about something that might be pie in the sky, but let's find out. So here's the idea, and I admit right up front that it's probably impractical in the sense of actually making it work, but, but I'm, I'm hoping that my guests maybe will comment on it. I was talking with a, a friend of mine um, a couple of weeks ago about the healthcare system, and we were talking about privatization and public-private partnerships and, if, and the, you know, the total user pay, the whole nine yards, all the things, all the options are out there. And, and I don't know whether it was his idea or my idea, but out of this discussion came this question, what would happen if we set up two public systems in competition with each other, both fully owned, fully controlled by the government, both fully funded by tax dollars. 
No, it wouldn't work. And there are many communities where it simply wouldn't work. But in larger communities, you, you could make the case that it would work. Would that afford the level of competition to improve efficiency that we do see in the private sector all the time, while still protecting, for those people who think that's important, still protecting the public interest? Now, aside from the fact that there, the, the myriad technicalities would probably make it impractical, but in a larger sense, Marian, would that work? Would that, would that deliver the kinds of... of uh, I don't think, and I don't think even you disagree, that there are a lot of situations where some healthy competition is good for the output, is good for the outcome. Might that be a partial solution to our problem here? Well, some people say the system is so darned inefficient, that's why we've got to change it. Other people say it's not that inefficient. People are working hard. Don't we have that now? I don't think we do. With the Catholic and the... And the public school system? Nah, no, because again, the view... No, I don't think, I no. don't think that's the kind of competition you're talking about. I mean, if we, if we, if we believe that competition uh, necessarily brings efficiency, I mean, and that, you know, is, is all the mantra that we hear. You don't believe that, um, I don't think it's necessarily true. Uh, so I've worked in big corporations that weren't very efficient and that don't listen to their employees well, about how they, could, how they could save lots of dollars. But when you're saying that, you're telling me that I'm better off having one choice myself rather than having two or more. Well, first of all, I don't believe I only have one choice. I get a choice of the doctor I go to see. Mm -hmm. The doctor may be paid through the system, but I get to choose the doctor. I get to choose the specialist. I get to ask for a second opinion if I'm not happy. Uh, or I get to not not deal with the formal medical system at all and and choose to pay for my own alternative medicine. Actually, I, I have to just jump in for a second, though. In, in, in a practical reality with our system today, and I'm not knocking the system one way or the other, you don't get to choose the doctor because there are very few doctors who will take you as a patient. Anymore. That is another issue. And, 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 and the, the shortage of doctors, particularly family doctors, yeah. who should be the front door to the system, exactly. is causing a real problem in mm -hmm. terms of patient choice. Mm -hmm. I but you don't see a cause and effect between that and having the social system in the first place. No, I don't. Most doctors, uh, even, even, even doctors who really rail about their ability to make a, a good dollar, and for family physicians, I think we all should worry about that. We, we, we always think that what they bill OHIP is what they take home, only they've got all sorts of costs, and yeah. we, we constantly forget that. Yeah. So leaving that aside, the, the biggest proponents of Medicare continue to be physicians, and younger physicians continue to more and more say, Yes, we have to find a better way to pay for this system. We have to find a more efficient way to deliver the services. But I want my patients to have access. And the only way I can be sure of that is if there is a, a universal system. I think there's more of a motivation to make sure that they, have, they, that they get paid and they do get their money. And, they, and that actually they're protected from their customers, really, because the government will pay them regardless of if they deliver the service or not. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that doctors would support Medicare or that teachers would support a public system where they don't have to compete. Which, by the way, you know, we're talking about the size of government and all the stuff we can do for health care with all these tax dollars, forgetting that tax dollars pay for our education, our justice system, our roads, our services, and all this money competes from the same source. And the same people that are saying we've got to spend more on health care are saying we've got to spend more on education. And that we've got to spend more on our roads. And that we've got to spend more on justice. It's a never-ending, it's a time bomb just waiting to go off. And unless, you know, I, I think that regardless of what our doctrines here are, or what we believe, we are going towards a world of freer markets, of more choice, of more privatization, because unless we do, we will not survive as a species, and well, these services will not survive. It's, it's really interesting that, that the choice has been very different in Western Europe, in most of Western Europe. The choice has, in fact, been 
quite the opposite. Yes, lots of competition in terms of, of business and freer markets and, 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 and a unified uh, European market, but very clearly protecting those services. And they have far more services than we do. Yes, and, it's great, and they got far more problems than we do. Well, no, they don't. I'm but sorry, they their spend, prosperity they spend, is... They spend less money on them, that, basically, and that's according why, to McNair. That's why I agree with you, uh, Jim, that if, that if that can be shown to be true and we're comparing oranges and oranges, mm -hmm. then yes, we have to look at our system and we have to see how it can be more efficient. I actually think that in the last 10 years, there has been a huge change in the efficiency of particular our healthcare mm -hmm. delivery. If system. this is so true, then why are, are why are you afraid of competition? If if it's truly true that the public healthcare system gives better service at lower prices, then under a p competitive system, everyone would just be rushing to the public system, and the private companies would all dry up and go away. That's that's not the case, and that's not. Well, what there must be a reason. There must be a reason. You can't ignore that reason. That means people are not making the choice because, because they're not those finding who what they have want there. money can compete. Those who don't have money can't and don't get the services well, I don't think and it can be shown again and again I don't that think that the government the needs to be running the service to help people who can't have access to the service the government I believe does not directly run health care of course well it does in the way it monopolizes it in the way it, it uh, sets fees the insurance fees it regulates the service up and down there's no it way regulates it, it doesn't run it but well it regulates it to the point of running it I who mean, pays the people who run it the government does I mean isn't the little semantics here the government runs it well, yes, in, in the broad, that's why I said it's very important whether, you, whether you're talking about public service or broader public mm -hmm. service. The Ministry of Health is paid directly by the government. Mm -hmm. The people who run Victoria Hospital are not. They're a broader public sector. They, their employer is the hospital, and the employer, as the Minister of Health has kept saying, makes a lot of those choices. Mm -hmm. So you, I don't know what he's talking about here, whether he's talking about only public no, sector he's, or broader he's, public he's talking about the whole the broader sector yeah. well you know there there is a real argument as to what uh, as as to how wise it is to lump those two things in together i personally think the ministry of health is not a particularly efficient ministry mm -hmm. i do not think it is a consultative ministry mm -hmm. i do not think it listens to the expertise of the people working in the system or the people receiving re receiving the services of the system and i sure as heck know they don't listen to the political masters that they're supposed to listen to, no matter what stripe of government is in. So I'm not, I'm not holding any brief for a large bureaucracy that doesn't work well for us. I think we have to look at that. And I think it's, it's amazing to me that it's been so difficult to get through to that ministry to make it a more responsive ministry. I, I, would, I would not argue against concerns about that kind of bureaucracy ever. Okay, we're going to take another pause here. The lines are open, 643-1290. We have some callers waiting. We'd be glad to add you to the list and get you on this edition of Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. Right and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. And uh, Gil joins us next. Hi, Gil. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Yes, yeah, just uh, two or three comments on the discussion so far. Just on universality, I think if everyone has an interest in health care or, or education, then everybody will be concerned if there are cutbacks. If only the poor are using public education or public health, the middle class is not going to be concerned if it's being cut. Mm -hmm. And the other problem with, with going to a system that only uh, helps those who need it, quote-unquote, is you have to have a means test. And as soon as you have a means test, there's an inefficiency brought into the system. But, but Gil, it's I, okay, I have a question for you relative to your first comment, yeah. though, and, and, I'm, and I, I don't understand. Um, you're, you're presupposing in your comment that if there were options that everyone would leave no. the, the public model that we're now being told in whatever field 
is doing quite a good job. Why would everybody leave? I mean, all the middle class, why would they all leave if it's doing such a good job? Well, if you're, but you're, but if you're facing a situation where there's underfunding and cuts going on and, and billions of dollars taken out of the education system, it's deteriorating, and then people go for, well, I'll spend my own money to get my kid through a private system which is going to provide a superior education, they think. Mm -hmm. And so then they are not interested in preserving public education or public health anymore. And that's the danger of having a public system for the poor and a private system for the rich. And we've seen that happen in many jurisdictions. That in England, exactly that erosion has happened. Well, it's happening under a universal system, too. The, the public system erodes itself away just by the principles on which it operates. It, it, it's, a, it's like oh, a it's cancerous system. system. Sure, sure it is. Look, we're at 54% income tax right now, Gil. What, 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 what rate should we be stopped at? Is there any stopping this juggernaut? Do we stop at 60%, 70 75 80 It has to be a balance between the taxes paid and the services provided. Now, well, then that would mean user pay. That's the, that's the perfect balance. No, I, I go to a doctor, he provides me $30 a service, I hand him 30 no, bucks. No, no. It's a balance between how much money do you need to properly and efficiently run the system. I'm not running the system. I'm only concerned with my health care, my doctor, my problems, and that you should be concerned with yours and your doctor. The no. system is what evolves out of those individual concerns. But, but when everybody we, collectivizes it... We, we live in a society. We're not a little village with two people. Anyway, I want to get back to... Well, that more. would apply to any service then. I you get you back could to say that about buying shoes and groceries and everything else. I want to get back to Jim's point there about the study that was done. Mm -hmm. and, and I have a hard time dealing with that because I heard that the federal liberal government, after their latest budget cuts and everything, were spending... Um, program spending was equal to the 1950s and and that there has been just a dramatic cut in federal government spending on health. Well, I don't know where you heard that because I haven't heard it. That was in the budget that well, came out last time. Program spending is way down. No, not the way I read it. Are, I mean, are you talking proportionately, Gil? Yeah, like they're back to the 1950s in terms of how much money the federal government spends okay. on health care and education. And, like, maybe the guy's talking about money being spent to pay off the debt or something like that. But well, he does include that, and that was one of his concerns. Right. Okay. But the Liberals now, federally, are spending the equivalent to what they spent in the 50s in terms of, of social spending. Okay, but again, as Marion points out, proportionally, not in absolute, they're spending way more dollars than they did then. Yeah, but that doesn't matter because the population has gone up and, 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 and as well as... So what's your point? Is it, is it just that it has to be proportionate or more? Otherwise you won't be happy? Or does no, the service my, my on the other is, end of it have anything to do with it? Some guy did a study in Ottawa and claims that, that government services are failing but he's not talking about the fact that I think that the private sector is failing, the private economy is failing. Well, the, the private sector is being beat into the ground by all the public sectors. No, it's not. It's every public dollar is a no. private dollar that was taken away from somebody oh, against their, no, no. their will. That's what it is. No. I, the point is, the point I was going to make is that there's a growing gap between the rich and the poor. People with power and privilege are able to acquire more and more power and privilege at the expense of ordinary people. Well, now, there's a mantra for you. There, there is just a statement that has no validity in practice, in theory, or in any other possible logic. No, it, it, the, the statistics are there that the powerful people are getting more than their fair share. Youth now... Well, who's, who says what their fair share is? You? They're using their, their power. Bill, who says what their fair share okay, guys, is? Guys, I'm going I'm yeah. to interrupt here because you guys <laughs> have had this discussion on the air many, many times before, and you're not going to agree. But what about youth? Well, I think, I think there's an obligation yeah. here beyond just having an opinion and saying what is this opinion based on? Gill has no respect for other individual rights and the rights of other people to disagree with him and choose their own system. And I have to say, either is Marion. She doesn't want me to have the right to choose a private system. You know, I only live once. 
When I'm dead, I'm dead and gone. And I, if I haven't got certain choices first, in my life, me first. You know, and that like, there are politicians that tell me I can't have these basic, basic choices. I can't understand what's going on in their minds. I, they obviously don't think that my life belongs to me. The, the point I wanted to make is that there's all kinds of statistics. I'm, I'm actually reading a book right now that shows that young people are getting poorer and poorer, and older people are getting wealthier. Well, that's very true, Gil. I agree with the statistics, but it, think of the reason. Because you, wouldn't you be poor if you if you came into this world having to pay half your life to the no, because, government just to make up for past? They spending? don't have work because they're unemployed. That's well, the that also is caused by having fewer employers no. who are tax burdened to death who no, can't afford that, to hire that, more people. That, that's not the that's not the right. Well, okay, I, obviously you guys are not going to agree on this one, Gil. <laughs> I'm going to thank you for your call today. And we're going to move along to David. Hello, David. Yes, hello. Yes, uh, I was working in the United States last year, and I was surprised as I was, you know, driving around going to work and shopping and everything, how many job ads there were. People all over the place were looking for jobs for, for people to hire. Mm -hmm. And when I'm back in Canada, I don't see those signs. Wondering if uh, anyone has something to say about that. Well, there's no question that their unemployment rates are significantly lower than ours. There's a lot of argument as to why that is. Either of you want to comment well, on that? There, I, I think the U.S. has made some positive moves, certainly in lower taxes, in, uh, in, in getting out of businesses' way and letting people be more productive on their own than Canada. I still think there's way too much involvement even with the government and the states. I think they've got a long way to go yet to cut back. Well, I have back. a friend running a business in Michigan, starting the business up, and he has having trouble finding people. There's such a demand for mm -hmm. people. There are more jobs than there are people. But I think that that also is, is, it depends on what kind of job there is. I mean, if you're not uh, having an education system that is training people for the kind of jobs that most, most new businesses are offering mm -hmm. these days, which are higher tech, uh, demand a whole lot more skills. Uh, if you if you have a situation where large numbers of your population are not receiving the education but and training but to that's do not, that, that's not the then problem you're going to have though. a shortage. That's not the problem in Michigan. They've, it, it, the problem in Michigan is not that they've got a whole bunch of unemployed and then a bunch of jobs that the unemployed can't do. It's that they've got, well, they've still got some unemployed, but they've got a lot of jobs that they just can't get, you know, that, that people with modest skills, they can't find enough of them to do the job. Well, in a, in a highly expanding economy, such as the States has, has experienced, um, it's not surprising to see that. I mean, we saw that in Canada during the 60s and 70s when the, the growth was just outpacing the ability to to, uh, Why to, we to provide now, that kind though? of thing. I mean, we're, we're in this operating within the same, except for the, some people would say, except for the gov burden of the government, we're operating in pretty much the same playing field as the Americans. No, I think we, we, we've got to remember that we had the most serious depression uh, that we've had ever in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, even, even the Depression in the 30s didn't affect Ontario to the extent that the one in the early 90s did. And we're still partly recovering from that. Well, that we're was still when partly, taxes peaked. Partly recovering from the um, uh, uh, lack of foresight uh, in our manufacturing sector, which had maintained a, a, a comfort level with uh, resource industries with extractive resource industries had not gone high-tech. This was all identified by the uh, Premier's Council during David Peterson's time, that we in fact had not kept up the pace with the development of, of business and industry, particularly the manufacturing industry. We had not developed value-added businesses are, are during the Are you criticizing the 80s, this or complimenting it? No, I'm criticizing it. I think, I think it's very serious that uh, during the So you're criticizing the, the manufacturing 70s, for not going high tech early soon enough? 80s. Yes, they were they were they were coasting. 
if, if, if you talk about entrepreneurialism, you talk about people having all this initiative and this competitiveness. If you look at industry in Ontario during the early 80s, the, the late 70s and early 80s, they weren't doing the things that businesses need to do but to Marianne, keep up with the world aren't you economy. traditionally opposed to automation and, and high-tech because, because isn't the argument that automation takes away jobs? My, my argument would be we have to go high-tech and we have to train the people to do the kinds of jobs that we have available to them. Both of those things are possible in a, in a world that, first of all, cares about people, but also really understands that people are uh, important to building industry. If you simply dispose of people, if you send all those bank tellers uh, into the unemployment lines, instead of retraining them to do the kinds of work in financial planning that needs to be done, to do that kind of thing, yes, I disagree with that. But I think we have uh, a workforce that is able to be reskilled. Uh, we have a we have a, 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 a whole economic system that doesn't do that. In Germany, for example, the the private industry is very involved in ensuring that training is going on. They pay dollars, a lot more dollars, than any business does in this in this well, community to be. ensure that we have trained trained workers. Okay, and, there's and, a number and of things I can they say about to this. Do that. Uh, one thing, the depression of the 90s, it stopped in the states in what, 91? In Ontario, we had an NDP government. Second, the kind of jobs you see when you're just sort of driving down the streets are not ones that require large amounts of education. They're, they're, they're the easy ones. And when I was working, they would take somebody who was working for them, uh, move them into a new job, and give them some training. So all of these things were being done in the U.S., which are not being done in Canada. And in Canada, of course, uh, we uh, were not training your machinists. What we were doing was taking German immigrants uh, and having them be the machinists and not having any system in You're Canada. Right. And now we're finding this for computer people. The Canadian computer people moved down to the States, and we're getting Russians and Romanians. Appreciate the call today, David. Thank you. And John's up next. Hi, John. Yes, how are you? Fine, thank you. Question for Marion. Like, does she not think that maybe when, when we had a liberal provincial government here followed by the NDP and the debt created by those two parties, that that had a lot of effect on our unemployment and et cetera here? And further to that, we have public education in this country, which I help pay for the taxes to have them go to school, and so does everybody else. And you have children that will go to school, and they drop out of grade 9, they drop out. As soon as they get 16, they drop out of school, and then come back on the system later on as a welfare case, which we have to retrain again. There's something wrong with that system when we let them do that. And I guess um, I, I, my personal opinion is that they, you, you can't force them to go to school, but what they want to do, they don't want to have any education, and yet they want a high-tech job. And I don't think it's available, and I think our debt in this province, in this country, has created the situation we're in. Well, I don't think there's any question that in the boom times of the late 80s, which we had in, in Ontario, the, the recession, of course, started much earlier in, in the United States, but we certainly were, were taking uh, uh, income in uh, hand over fist during the Peterson years, and yes, there was a, a, an increase in, in, in the deficit by uh, 33%, uh, in the debt, rather, 33% during those years. Uh, when we came into government, of course, you know, the mantra of the Peterson government was that there was a balanced budget, when in fact it was in, in deficit, 
and we had begun to experience not only the effect of the recession, but of the, the, the NAFTA agreement, which lost us 500,000 jobs in Ontario. By 1994, we had recovered all but 10,000 of those jobs through the, the, the work that our government did with the federal government to try and, and, and redress that balance. But at what price? But at, at what, like when you took power, now correct me if I'm wrong here, was something like $500 million deficit rather than that amount as a, as a, as a surplus? And then when you people left power, what were we looking at? Ten plus billion? Yes, and 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 that's that's quite true. We were. Did you want us to have people starve in the streets? We basically took the position that we had to invest those dollars in job creation, invest those dollars in ensuring people uh, had housing, had had a, 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 a the possibility, the hope of getting paid employment. And in fact, we began to, to, to see that recovery come along in 1994, well before the Conservative government came along. You do have to invest in order to, to deal with a catastrophic circumstance such as that recession. Yeah. And any government would have had to do that. Marion, yeah, that's true. But, you know, really, when you, when you talk about job creation, you remember they had they, they, a government at one time, they had people going around cutting down dead alum trees. So this is the type of job that you're talking about. That was about. in the you 70s, brought, yes, yes, and it was a conservative government. We still have high unemployment here because of the jobs that the government creates are not long-lasting jobs. They're a, they're a Band-Aid thing for the economy at that particular time. It cost the taxpayers John, a ton of money, and at the end of the day, we're right back with high unemployment. John, you know what? I agree with you. You may know that our job creation was not putting money in, in that way. Jobs Ontario was all about working in partnership with corporations on the training aspect. And that was our major job creation uh, mechanism. The, Outside the, of the, some of the, the infrastructure dollars that, that the federal... The used that, Mary, and they used that as a way to get cheap labor, and when, the, when, the, when that we didn't We didn't, we didn't subsidize done. the labor. You have to understand, we did not subsidize salaries. What we did was pay for the training for people. And if you look at some of the corporations that participate in that, and I'll talk to you about London, uh, London Machinery, for example, where they use those training dollars and they have consistently built more and more uh, uh, business and, and had more and more employees as a result of that kickstart in terms of Jobs Ontario. John, I'm sorry, but we have yep, to yep. leave it there. Okay. Appreciate your Pre call. Appreciate Thank your time. Thank you, sir. We'll be back in just a moment with more on Left, Right, and Center. Marion Boyd and Bob Metz have been my guests on this edition of uh, Left, Right, and Center. It's been a treat having you both of you here. This has uh, been one of the more enjoyable shows we've had in a while. And Marion, it's nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Jim. Um, uh, traditionally, Marion, on the program, we, we afford our guests uh, 30 minutes or 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30, 30, minutes. 30 seconds or a minute to kind of sum up or, or just uh, offer whatever thoughts you have about what happened today. And uh, being as you are our newest guest, I'll afford you that opportunity first. Well, I think the uh, the report that you talked about at the beginning uh, is is an important step in terms of getting real discussion happening around these things. I, I agree with you that if people simply take an ideological point of view and aren't prepared to think outside the box, uh, we're going to have difficulty maintaining our services uh, without pricing them out of existence. And uh, it's my hope that uh, this kind of this kind of report and a number of others that have been done lately and the experience that's come out of the uh, restructuring in the healthcare system are going to help us to really look at how to achieve a universal but affordable system. 
You know, I find it ironic finding myself in a conversation where we're talking about big government and all we're really talking about is health care and education services and things like that, areas that I don't even believe government should be involved in. Uh, I think that the purpose of government is to provide a justice system and a framework of laws under which all people have to operate. Um, when the government gets into any other business, it compromises that primary function. Um, we, we will not see the dollars we need in the justice system. Our roads will start deteriorating more because the money's all going into one pot instead of going to where it should go. Like our gas taxes should be strictly for the roads, shouldn't be for going into social programs and things like that. And the idea of that government is there to help people who are not in need is a separate issue from running services. If you've got Mary or Joe who cannot afford to go to a school or a hospital, then you help Mary and Joe. You don't go to the school and hospital, take it over, decide to run it, and tell everybody you're giving them a good deal. That's that's just uh, well, fraudulent, pr practically, you know? Well, my thanks to both of you. It's been a very in interesting show. I understand you're coming back next week, Mary. Is that yeah. true? Great. We'll look forward to that. Folks, thanks you. Thanks you. Just shoot me, Ryan. Put me out of my misery. Thank you for being part of the program today. I do want to remind you once more quickly about playing the Palace. The full dress rehearsal is tonight, and there will be tickets available at the box office at the Palace Theater tonight. Um, I believe the box office opens around 7 o'clock. If you want tickets for the full-scale gala tomorrow night, that's with the formal wear and the food and the whole nine yards. Those tickets are available at the Grand Theater, 672-8800, 672-8800. And that also, the uh, showtime is 8 o'clock tomorrow night. I hope you come and join us. A lot of great people there. If you haven't seen anything until you've seen Diane Haskett and Anne-Marie DeSico doing their duet tonight. I'm here to tell you, don't miss it. Um, thank you for being part of the program. My thanks again to Marion and Bob. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah, something. Uh, tomorrow, what's on the show? I have no idea what's on tomorrow. Uh, Kathleen did give me the thing, but I've misplaced it. So join me tomorrow, and we'll find out together what's happening. Stay tuned for Ask the Experts with our financial experts, Chris and Rob, today. And uh, take care of each other. Mind how you go. Ryan and Kathleen, say hi, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.